0: Welcome to The Golden Shadow, the podcast about psychology, philosophy, myth, mysticism, and mystery. My name is Aaron Rogerson.
1: And I'm Alyssa Polizzi.
0: Today we're talking about thinking versus feeling as a way of describing personality types. And this is actually a fairly complex and confusing topic, despite how prominent the terms thinking and feeling are in our daily vocabulary. And in case anyone listening hasn't figured this out, Alyssa and myself are not academics or licensed psychologists so we're really just exploring the things that we find interesting and we're going to do the best that we can with this topic and try and have some fun anyways Alyssa what do we mean by personality type or typology
1: I think when we're referring to personality type or even typology, we start to get this sense of the Myers-Briggs, this way of classifying and identifying what certain people's propensity towards certain um, psychological types might be. So we have terms like ENFJ or INTP. We might have heard these in the general lexicon of our society. Um, But it's good to sort of peel back those layers a bit and understand where those types come from. So typology refers to um, a Jungian model that really was born from a lot of clinical work and a lot of observation of how people seem to orient themselves to the world, what sort of functions of personality seem to be the strongest or ones that seem to be um, more weak in nature and the the model of typology was designed by Carl Jung as a way to really understand our habitual or preferential sort of psychological orientations to the world
0: right so there's different aspects of the the personality type that we're familiar with with Mm -hmm. with Myers-Briggs yeah of course I mean I think most people Maybe not most people, but a lot of a lot of people our age, I think, especially, have taken some kind of test online about yep. your your Myers Briggs personality type, mm-hmm. and that's introversion or extroversion, yep. right? Sensing
2: Versus or intuition,
0: intuition, mm-hmm. and then thinking and feeling, yes, and then judging and perception, perception, yes, right. And we're yeah. going to focus today on thinking and feeling, yep. specifically,
2: mm-hmm.
0: even though this is impossible to separate from the other aspects of personality
1: yes they're very intertwined
0: so especially especially introversion and extroversion um interacts with thinking and feeling in a way that's important to understand
1: yes in in the Jungian model um you look at how one might have extroverted thinking or introverted feeling and so the the function itself never really exists in a vacuum by itself there's always this other influence of how you are um, kind of orienting to the world and are you extroverted in nature kind of taking um, external factors in pulling energy from outside or is that coming from an internal factor through introversion? Hmm.
0: So how might we define thinking
1: Thinking, let's see. We can think about it as a uh, really a tendency to invest in a lot of mental resources, so concepts, theories, harmony between those dynamics, and really kind of focusing on what things simply are versus Mm. kind of what um, sentiments or uh, personal dynamics might be attached to it. Thinking seeks to just um, understand what is.
0: Right, so there's... um An attempt at taking on a more objective perspective. Yeah. And objective in quotation marks because that's a a problematic word as as far as the notion of being someone if someone being absolutely objective is problematic. Yeah. Of course. But that the the thinking faculty in some regard is an attempt to be more objective in some sense and Mm -hmm. try to try to establish the world as a place of facts. Yeah. And um concepts and theories that might, um, be coherent with each other, Mm -hmm. be coherent with your worldview. You're trying to, trying to make sense of reality in a way that's very Mm fact-based. Um, and you can see this obviously in everyone. Mm -hmm. There's, there's not a person who's not thinking right it's always an aspect of personality that everyone is engaging in, but there are there are individuals who have a tendency to be more thinking than others, yeah. and this is kind of what what we tend to call types who are very rational, mm-hmm. very intellectual types. Yes, um, that can be in positive ways or negative ways. Mm-hmm. We have we have a tendency to think of people sometimes as being over overly intellectual or over rationalizing. Uh, the world sometimes rationalizing their own experience a little too much mm-hmm. um but this is this is a concept we're familiar with yeah thinking thinking is a little more straightforward than feeling
1: yeah i would say of the two concepts thinking um kind of brings a a lot of um i don't know so, sort of a a connection that you immediately understand. And when we think of feeling, I think it's actually a little tricky because we're like, yeah, we know what feeling is. Like, I feel good. Mm-hmm. That thing makes me feel excited. We we have a tendency to connect feeling with emotion.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but when we're looking at it in this way of um, a sort of psychological type or this orientation to the world, we actually seek to separate the emotional aspect from the feeling function. Um, So I think that they're often confused or sort of intertwined because emotion is much more um, um, accompanied by the feeling uh, dynamic in a person, Mm -hmm. while the thinking individual um, might be actively suppressing it to some nature and not in a wholly negative way. But if one is really trying to understand the world through concepts or or facts or objective um, orientation, sometimes the emotional dynamic gets in the way of that and the thinking individual can kind of put that aside and really um, take in a lot of information um, using the thinking function without emotion getting in the way.
0: Right. Trying to, in some sense, uh, override the feeling Mm -hmm. aspect of personality of maybe... Suppressing feelings because they are in some sense interfering yeah. with your, your capacity to think
1: right and With feeling when we're looking at it as a psychological function It's meant to hold the same sort of uh, reasoning capability that the thinking function does it just comes from a different source hmm. So feeling is more of a function then that's prioritizing harmony of some sort of value-based dynamic in an individual, which could be influenced by social or environmental factors, could be personal morals, um, sentiments, certain subjective elements. Um, it's a bit elusive in nature, honestly. It can be a little hard to understand. So. I think we'll continue Definitely. to explore it and kind of pull it apart.
0: Right, right. A lot of, a lot of this is semantics. Yeah. Right. We're, we're talking about the, the, the notion that we use the words thinking and feeling daily. hmm We use them to describe a whole realm of mental actions using the same word to mean possibly 10 different things. Yeah, yeah. So the idea of emotions, you know, someone will say, like, Oh, there's so much so many feelings mm-hmm. you know, they're talking about emotions in yeah. some regard. Yeah. Um or like that feels good. Mhm. Or uh, you know, I don't like the way the sweater feels on me. Um or, I don't know, this movie feels kind of weird.
1: Or you touch something that's hot, that feels hot, but that's not really, you know, what the feeling function is based on. That's more of like a sensing thing where, like, our material existence has come into contact with something.
0: Right, right. So to the, the semantics of these things are, are part of the challenge. It's yeah. figuring out what we really mean, what we're, what we're talking about. And mm-hmm. the, the, the mind, of course, is the most complex thing in existence. And that's why... Uh, semantics is such a challenge for the mind because it's really hard to know what we're really talking about and how we can even separate things from each other, mm-hmm. like separating thinking from feeling.
2: Yeah.
0: We're doing that obviously and it's useful to do so, but at the same time, you can't really separate thinking from feeling completely. Yeah. There's, there's so much interweaving, um, so much. We also just don't really understand about how the mind works. Yeah. And that's definitely. important to keep in mind when we have these discussions about, um, about these concepts. Um, but one way to think about it that that might be useful is um, thinking is a tendency towards an objective perspective in some sense pushing towards being more objective that doesn't necessarily mean being more correct mm-hmm. obviously yeah. sometimes we assert objectivity when in fact we're not being yeah. more objective we're just being more distant in some regard mm. um, and feeling more more of a tendency towards a uh, subjective perspective, prioritizing subjectivity in some sense. And again, these these words are problematic and they don't fit perfectly. Yeah, we they we, don't ca- fit we perfect. can't simply just say, well, objective subjective, that's that's thinking feeling. Right. It's like oh, that's that's tough.
1: Yeah, because um part of the feeling function, especially as a rational function, is that it can often take objective um, things into account. And that's the motivating force. And that's Mm -hmm. where we start to get into some more of the sort of extroverted versus introverted um, influence. So an extroverted individual is more likely to take um, objective things into account. That's what it's basing a lot of its actions or behaviors off of. And so a good example of that A feeling type person who's driven by extroverted tendencies um, might be in a room. Um, uh, of uh, with other individuals looking at um, some art and everyone's mm-hmm. like wow it's so beautiful and everyone's kind of going around saying their thoughts and you as an individual might not actually really like this uh, painting very much mm. but to kind of keep the cohesion the social cohesion to not like uh, kind of disturb what's going on you have that sense that you should you know agree with it mm. and, and so you offer up it is a beautiful painting and that's a natural sort of extroverted feeling function that's trying to to um, maintain a a harmony
2: mm-hmm.
1: amongst um, individuals, because maybe for you morally or ethically, um, you you want people to feel good, you want people to have a good time, you don't mm-hmm. really want to throw things off, and um, and that's coming from um, a, a factor that isn't so much really based on the. Um, you know your subjective opinion of what you thought was true which was mm. you know the art wasn't that good but it didn't really matter in this case
0: sure sure so that's that's tapping into the the introversion extroversion sort yeah. of dynamic in some regard um just to play off that um play off that sort of dynamic with the painting that um that example you could say someone who is more of a thinking type if they were going to see a painting in a gallery and maybe they're, they're with a group of friends, mm-hmm. and all their friends like the painting. The The thinking type might not even experience feeling something from the painting. Yeah. In fact, they might look at the painting, um, look at the caption underneath the painting, or the description, mm-hmm. and say, oh, this was painted in 1850.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's like, well, interesting. So that was like um, a time in England near the Victorian period where mm-hmm. individuals were... Trying this kind of style of painting, and that's that's my way of relating to the painting is right. is placing it into this timeline, yeah, yeah. and I'm judging it as being good or bad based on not how it makes me react on this sort of deep level, but mm-hmm. on on whether or not um it's coherent with my worldview in some sense. Yeah, in like a way, over to, rationalizing the painting.
1: Yeah, in a way to even show some of like the dissonance might have been like you know what if an example is the painting brought up certain aspects of like this you know eighteenth eighteen hundreds Victorian period um, you know dynamic or or influence and yet they in the painting itself it's uh, the artist has sort of decided to bring in some more like modern techniques mm-hmm. or um, some sort of modern picture of something mm-hmm. and then and that. Um, sort of imbalance between the concepts might be um, the the thinking, especially the extroverted thinking type, might not see that those things blend together in right. harmony. It's like, well, wasn't this supposed to be more of like a Victorian-era-inspired painting? Yeah. Why are they bringing in this modern thing? Yeah. That might even be um, what causes that that dislike to happen mm-hmm. in, in the thinking individual. Sure,
0: sure. Someone could walk up to you and say, did you know this painting was painted on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro using Q-tips <laughs> only. And that might be something that makes you think the painting is better in some way. Yeah. Or perhaps worse. Mm. Even though the experience of the painting should not be changed, you look at it and you feel it. And perhaps some notion of what was needed to create the painting gives some sort of like rationalization of why it's good. Yeah. Of like oh well it took so much work
2: mm-hmm.
0: um therefore it's good yeah in some sense and that's kind of this um overriding a more visceral experience of the world with uh, a notion of the theory behind the the thing you're looking at or the, the, it as a concept or whether or not it's true yeah let's say
1: yeah I think the feeling function might bring in, as you said, more of like that visceral sort of um, I'm here and these are the people that are around me, or here are the things that are in my space and, and what's this interconnected dynamic and and mm. and or what does that make me feel inside or how is that connected to my own history? Um, the things that I've gone through, it's it's kind of I'm almost like diving into this deeper well of, of open experience. Mm. Um, that sort of opening up that realm of possibility where, um, it's kind of moving from this more, um, feeling based place where the expansion that happens for the thinking individual becomes more abstract in nature. Mm. And, and, and maybe there is kind of a less of an abstraction that's happening for the feeling individual.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: In
1: that case.
0: So, uh, a good way to illustrate this might be to discuss our own personality types, right? Yeah. In terms of thinking and feeling because um, I'm a more thinking type.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're a more feeling type. Yep. That is somewhat typical yeah. with male and female mm-hmm. in some regard. Um, but that allows us to come to this with our own experiences and maybe yeah. illustrate what it is we're talking about. Yeah. So, being a thinking type, and in some sense, a pretty extreme thinking type mm-hmm. in some regards, mm-hmm. there's, there's clearly a way that I'm oriented towards the world and the way that I engage with my reality, which is in, in some sense default. It requires me to be mindful of what I'm doing in order to, in some sense, override how much I tend to, to think um, to try and achieve more of a place of feeling because feeling is not default for me, yeah. In some sense, and the way that I approach any situation, any social situation, um, is often that I, I care very much about what is what's really going on, in some sense, or mm-hmm. what's true or mm-hmm. what's real. Yeah. Um, in a way that I will prioritize what i think is happening over someone's feelings mm-hmm. and you know this can lead to difficulties with relationships for instance like i've yeah. had i've had interpersonal conflict relationship difficulties let's say in which i what is happening or what is fair or what is true in as far as the relationship goes is more important to me that, than how the other person feels mm-hmm. and i would even say your feelings are getting in the way of mm. your connection with reality. Mm. Mm. Um, or you're responding this in in a way that is irrational, right. and therefore you're not seeing the truth. Yeah. Or you think I never wash the dishes, but I do wash the dishes. In fact, I wash the dishes more than you because I keep track. I'm mm. being very objective, very rational about this. And the person who's complaining about me not washing dishes enough, I might accuse them of being overly emotional or overly... Um, not thinking this through clearly, Mm -hmm. not having a good grasp on reality. Yeah. And, um, this is repeatedly how I interact with my reality.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, I'm very systematic. Um, I definitely have a tendency to try and engineer things.
1: Yes. The engineer.
0: Right. Right. (laughs) Um, I like mapping things out. I like trying to make things coherent Mm -hmm. systematically, Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of how, how the world works perhaps or even the things that we're discussing on this podcast for instance there's a tendency to not just want to go with my gut about Mm. what what i think is true about these things it's i want to do a lot of research i Mm. want to map it out yeah i want to make sure that my ideas of of thinking and feeling fit well with my ideas about wisdom Mm -hmm. or mindfulness or rationality irrationality or intelligence and my ideas about God, my ideas about spirituality, my ideas about religion. I want that all to fit and I want it all to fit very nicely because the truth is very important to me. It's incredibly important to me. Um, and that, that describes my experience as a thinking individual. And if we were going to have a discussion, let's say where, um, there's, you know, this, and I think this is a common thing when people go to see a therapist, for instance, is the therapist might ask you, um, how do you feel about this conflict you might be having in your life? And my response might be, well, I think what makes sense is that this conflict is difficult and I think that perhaps it's inconvenient and that is why I'm finding myself more stressed out than usual. And they're, they're not asking me that. They're asking, right. how, do, how do you feel? Right. And I'm saying, well, I think that perhaps I need to change the way that I approach this conflict and maybe work on my... Uh, self-awareness maybe develop some strategies and again it's like we're, not, they're not asking that right. I keep, the, I keep the rationalizing tendency what's for,
1: for the thinking type is to intellectualize mm-hmm. even when prompted to get into the emotional feeling realm mm-hmm. because it's not what the the easily accessible channel is and mm-hmm. so when asked that i think there, there isn't even a conscious decision to not go to the emotional place it's just let me explain to you how I make sense of this then. Yeah. And it's through the intellectualization. Right. Um, But I think for those who have that thinking type and might even struggle to get in touch and emotionally, you might ask yourself, you know, how did I explain this to myself? Mm -hmm. How did I explain a a situation? How did I make a sense of it? Yeah. And that might be an access point into understanding more of the emotional center that might be there sort of driving what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, because you know, just because you're a thinking type doesn't mean you're devoid of emotion. Mm. Um, and, and it's certainly good for a thinking type, especially if they, um, are very high in that function. If that's something they move to a lot to want to then, you know, cultivate the other, um, aspect.
0: Right.
1: As a feeling type, I wear my heart on my sleeve and I I think we always joke my emotions are very easy to read Mm. and that's because what I'm how I'm taking in the world has a lot to do with um, kind of understanding these interconnected dynamics between people and I, I have a very strong extroverted feeling function which means I'm making a lot of decisions and I'm choosing how to act in a situation based on what's good for the group, definitely, sometimes to the detriment of my own um, health or my own well-being. And I think that's where things can get a little pathological for me. I'm willing to sacrifice my own um, my own needs, my own desires, what I feel is right. I'll let that be compromised because there's this strong desire to want to maintain the status quo for other people. Um, so I think if uh, one has a strong extroverted feeling um, function, they might resonate a lot with being like very empathic in nature, um, which is not only might you recognize the the subtle feeling function in yourself, but you might recognize it in other people. And if you value keeping people feeling, um, you know, happy or you know, letting things come in in a way that doesn't throw off their, um, you know, their dynamic too much, you are um, inherently then prioritizing their own needs over your own. Um, So that feeling function for me is both um, a blessing and a curse, I would say, because I'm very, very high in the feeling function. It's, it's one of like my strongest um, typologies. And it's, It's kind of like the driving force, um, from everything else. And, and that can be very beneficial in helping me really understand, uh, situations with people in ways that I can read, um, you know, into their values easily, into their emotional experiences, into their history. I can understand, um, in a way that makes things feel very human and, and very real, um, I also have the ability to sort of go inside of myself and and pull that out as well as I sort of move. I think between the the inward and outward um, focus quite quite readily. Um, so for me, it's it's really about understanding, um, you know, what is um, like my my desires for or for keeping like this homeostasis around myself and around other people. And allowing um, my decisions and my behaviors to really be informed by a, a sense of, I don't know, some sort of almost archaic sort of primitive element of, of, of the pack or even like uh, the inner dynamic to myself, to my external world. Um, I think one thing that we talked about earlier was this idea of, of the feeling function tapping into some instinctual elements of, of like the pack the tribe
0: definitely definitely deeper yeah um older
1: older yeah
0: if you want to think about it in evolutionary terms it's it's something that is um more natural and default to us Mm -hmm. and the sort of thinking aspect of our of our personality is in some sense evolutionarily recent yeah um and that's why it's in some sense it feels kind of distant Mm -hmm. impersonal yeah where you're almost placing yourself outside of yourself or trying to always yeah strangely yeah abstraction right it's just the pulling away from the core in some sense Mm -hmm. and um that's one way to think about this i mean again it's problematic um we need to be careful what what we how we how we talk about this, but the notion of, of feelings in some sense more, more instinctual, clo- mm. closer to your your drives, um, less about suppressing, and more about just sort of being, letting letting the way that you um, you naturally resonate with your environment, kind of be more um, more accessible to you. Mm. A lot of thinking is in some sense trying to override that um, to provide some sort of advantage for yourself problem solving yeah. and we as humans are really excellent problem solvers specifically because we can interpret the world objectively in some regard and that's what thinkers are doing is they are becoming very good problem solvers um, but they're doing so at the detriment of their their more human qualities in some sometimes, regard yeah. sometimes um, and um, so it's it's the interplay between these these two dynamics again is complex
1: yeah and i, d- I don't think either one is more human than the other you know but there's um, a sense of understanding the the dynamic that's happening and the the sort of evolution of of a human Um, where we see um, how maybe this thinking function has become this maybe more recent development that's opened up consciousness in a way that is expanding our capabilities as a species in ways that we were never, ever capable of before. Mm -hmm. And that certainly um, is quite powerful um, and can be utilized to really expand our understanding of, of the world and ourself and our environment, that the maybe like inherent feeling function wouldn't have tapped into. So they're, they're so interconnected in that way. They, 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 they need each other really to survive.
0: Certainly. Certainly. Um, I I do think there's something to be said for culturally. We've become increasingly thinking over time Mm. because it is something that you can train, Mm. something that you can be conditioned into. And a lot of what school is aimed at, for instance, is cultivating the thinking function. Mm hmm. Understanding the world materialistically, understanding um, scientifically what is happening, the way things work, a notion of what is uh, what is factually true, as opposed to um, a more kind of moral what what should be or how how should you live, mm. um, and I think you can see this trend over time of. Um, conditioning and training that leads to greater and greater thinking prowess and in some sense that can be very powerful and clearly has been very powerful in our progress technologically but there is something lost in the suppression of feeling in some sense or not investing more time in cultivating a sort of fluency of feeling Mm. um and i think that's partially why people are spiritually starved in some regards right now
1: yeah yeah it's it's interesting to think about what life would be like if in school we valued the thinking uh function as much as the feeling function so when mm. we have more of these like um group uh sort of um you know dynamics where like students are being sort of uh, allocated into times where they're learning to connect with each other, understand mm. their environment better. Mm. It's like more like people skills and, and life skills Definitely. as well as like the cognitive intellectual skills mm-hmm. and how much more well-rounded and um, more balanced might we be if we were giving um, you know, our children from a very young age, the chance to operate in both spaces and, and cultivate strength on both sides.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And perhaps uh, more opportunity to be weak or be vulnerable mm. in some regard. I mm. think just you know you can talk about the subjects we teach. Like if if we're teaching children physics mm-hmm. and math, in some sense, you are not really teaching them how to feel. You're teaching yeah. you're teaching them how to to think. Right. But beyond that, even more of the humanities classes. It's if if you want to succeed in school, you need to sit down and be quiet. And yeah. you need to pay attention. Right. And there's not necessarily, um, there's not much feeling involved necessarily with sitting in class mm. and being quiet and staring at a chalkboard right, for hours right. and hours and ch- children perhaps are not being given enough opportunity to play, scream. Yeah express themselves right. in, in some regard in all these ways that are not ne- just necessarily verbal but also just deeper and physical and um yeah. that is one aspect of our society that i think just over time has become more thinking in this way
1: yeah and that might look like a uh, a higher prioritization for the arts mm-hmm. and creative expression which you know certainly takes certain thinking functions into account, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, allowing someone to really be in a space where they are, um, you know, creating a, like, whether it's music or drawing or painting or what have you, um, kind of opening up a different channel where the thinking mind can sort of step aside and rest for a moment. And you can begin to just, um, cultivate some other aspect of yourself. That's maybe tapping into, An emotional core and expressing that through art or, um, you know, focusing on a dynamic from your life and expressing that, you Mm. know, through songwriting or whatnot and allowing that to be just as important and just as cultivated as, you know, sitting in physics class and learning all the facts.
0: So there's a a certain nature nurture aspect, this whole notion of personality, Mm -hmm. right? So. When we're talking about people's personality types, we are in some regard talking about nature. Yes. We're talking about yes. The, the person that you were born as in mm-hmm. some regard, the person mm-hmm. that you were you were meant to be, let's say. And when we encounter individuals throughout our journey in life, what we see is not necessarily their default personality or mm. their, their true personality mm. as much as we're seeing that personality interacting with experiences. Sure. And sometimes that's, it distorts the personality yeah. and someone who really should be an extroverted feeling type for one reason or another has been conditioned in some regard or they've had maybe negative experiences yeah. or maybe they've experienced trauma as a child. Yes. They've become more closed off mm-hmm. and they've become more in their head Mm -hmm. and they've become averse to being vulnerable Mm -hmm. and expressing themselves. Mm -hmm. And so you get this personality type that's suddenly, not suddenly, uh, personality type that seems introverted and thinking, even though they might have been extroverted feeling in in, in some regard. So this sort of distortion of self that can happen as a result of experience is important to understand in this regard that just because you know someone who seems like a thinking type. Mm -hmm. They might not actually be like really a thinking type. Yes, yes. And we have to acknowledge this.
1: Yes, I think that's where some of the pushback comes from, actually creating tests and categorizing ourselves, and certainly um, wasn't really um, what the model of typology in in the Jungian sense was meant for. Um, It was really meant more to understand maybe who you are right now and what functions you're in touch with and then why might that be and how might going deeper into introspection help you see how um inherent part of your nature has been distorted as you said due to some sort of aspect of your experience and in turn then being able to reclaim some part of yourself that's been lost in this process, or maybe you never had access to it, but it would be really helpful for you to draw upon that thinking function to balance out the feeling. Um, and so looking at that dynamic between the, the nature of someone and, and truly kind of what the the psychological functions offer us is, it's just an expansion in understanding what's going on inside of us are our psychological orientations, the interpersonal dynamics, and why things play out the way that they do. Um, so, using it almost as a, as a compass to orient ourselves in different situations.
0: Mm-hmm. So, what's the uh, what's the shadow work that can be done in regards to thinking and feeling?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think we're just touching upon it, really, which is once we begin to have an understanding of what's going on inside of our personality. Um, we, can, we can ask why, you know, if you have a, an incredibly strong uh, feeling function and you're recognizing that that seems to be a cause of pain or issue in your life, um, it, it could use some balance. And that might be because you have a tendency to, you know, move towards taking care of others and maintaining that status quo or you've learned to value other people's um, emotional states over yourself. And that reveals certainly something um, either about your, your childhood, your experiences and natural inclination that you might have. And so the development then in the shadow work is to bring out this part of yourself that is um, allowing you to navigate those situations with better balance, which might mean drawing on the thinking function when you're feeling naturally inclined to um, sacrifice some part of yourself because then the, the thinking function might play a role in allowing you to be more objective, to be more rational, to see things as they are, which is that you're hurting yourself. Like you're not being, uh, you're not being rational here and bringing that in as uncomfortable as it might feel, um, can actually help you bring greater balance to your personality. So that shadow work really is about recognizing where you're at in the present moment, what you gravitate towards and why other things might be in shadow. Why might your thinking or feeling function be in shadow? What experiences have affected that and how can you cultivate greater balance?
0: And again, others, people, you know, people that care about you, um, working with some sort of professional Mm -hmm. is something that can be really helpful in this regard. Yeah, as with, all, as with all shadow work, but yeah. you might not understand how much of a thinker you are. Yeah, without someone who cares about you to let you know, and say, "No, you, you know, you have a tendency to kind of over rationalize what's mm-hmm. happening, or you seem closed off, or you're, mm-hmm. you're very, you seem like a very cold
2: mm-hmm. person." Yeah,
0: um, and we can always make advantage of trying to get some sort of external perspective. Even yes. even from ourselves through yeah. journaling or trying to really observe how we act yeah. with other people and trying to externalize um, our personality in the form of taking notes yes. about what happens to us.
1: It's the recognition and the reminder that these aspects that are in shadow, as we like to say, can be very unconscious, meaning we're just not aware of it. And that might not be because you don't want to. It's just you haven't really been given the opportunity to see it. So how can you engage in different activities that allows you to see yourself from these different perspectives? And certainly talking to other people who really know you can give you that honest feedback is very helpful. Or beginning that very honest, humbling, introspective work through journaling and, and inner questioning to really look at root dynamics of, of your personality.
0: Mm-hmm. Past experiences, perhaps. Yeah. As a child, things that you might have experienced that made you feel like you couldn't couldn't feel, perhaps. Yeah, or or couldn't fully express
1: yourself, whether that was the thinking or feeling or possibly another function as well.
0: And the aim with this work would, in some sense, not to suppress thinking or feeling Mm. in regard or to... Um, Flip flopped the other side, right, but right. more to develop a kind of fluency yes. in both. Yes. Where you know how to think when it's important mm-hmm. and you know how to feel yes. when it's important and to do so in healthy, virtuous ways. Yes. Almost um, like those tools are at your disposal mm-hmm. in a way where you can access them when you need them.
2: Yes.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: And now a question from our audience. Bink from Bay Farm in California has written in and would like us to talk about the magician archetype as seen in the tarot and in alchemy, perhaps.
1: The magician, um, this is thought of as consciousness really awakening in an individual and starting to understand the power to influence and shift your environment to gain access to the tools that are at your disposal both internally and externally if we relate it back to the fool which was zero the magician is the number one so there's a step that's happened here
0: next step in the journey Mm -hmm. so in some sense the magician represents consciousness yeah. And the power that comes with consciousness, yeah, in some regards is you become you grow in some sense out of your adolescent stage yeah. and you begin to see the world in a bigger way
1: from that instinctual stage, right? Mm. With a fool, where yeah. it's purely like an instinctual drive to move forward, and then suddenly, boom, consciousness awakens, right, and right. it's like, oh, okay, actually, I can do this more deliberately. Mm. I can do this in a way that um, kind of draws on certain strengths in myself or in my environment or even sort of spiritually opening up those channels of inspiration and really being able to manipulate um, as a magician might with a magic wand kind of begin to wave around and cast a spell and as if you know things could just sort of um, transform to his will Mm. You, you step into this role where you in turn really um, create and manifest and shift and, and shape things.
0: Right, so that alchemical power mm-hmm. in some sense to yeah. convert a lump of coal into right. gold, right. let's say, to yeah. realize one's visions, mm-hmm. to do the impossible in some yeah. sense. And there's this sense of agency that's gained, right? Right. Yeah, as a step up from the fool. Yeah, in some regards, where you've become a little bit more of a person, you've become a little bit more of an individual. Yes, right. We're talking yes. about the individuation process. Yes, yes. In some regard, and if we think about it in terms of the hero's journey, if if the last episode we talked about the fool as being the um, nascent initial stage mm-hmm. of the journey when the, mm-hmm. the fool is still in the sheltered existence and perhaps is Decided to take that step outward mm-hmm. into the, into the world, into mm-hmm. the chaos, yeah. into the, the place of, of good and evil. Um, the magician represents, uh, the hero on the path now. Yeah. And maybe has acquired some tools mm-hmm. or has acquired some friends yeah. or, um, has a mentor or something like that early in the journey.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: before the major fall, let's say before the abyss. Yeah, so a lot of the, um, a lot of the popular stories we know. Perhaps Luke Skywalker has received the lightsaber, Mm -hmm. and he has met Obi Wan. Yeah, and he has C three PO and R two D two, and he's traveling now in his speeder, Mm -hmm. and he's he's not really the fool anymore. He's he's on the journey now, and he's learning about the Force. He's becoming more aware, mm-hmm. more conscious. He, he has a life on tattooing and that's all he knows. And then his aunt and uncle are murdered and there's stormtroopers and there's uh, the rebellion and there's a princess. And all of a sudden he's like his mind is expanding very rapidly. Yeah, yeah. And that's in some sense the magician can kind of represent this this stage of potential somewhat being realized. Mm-hmm. And as the potential is realized, the world opens up to you. And there's a path you can take in which you can really convert something into um, something that was just an idea into reality.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's where that sense of that like transmutation starts to happen where you are starting with some sort of source material or idea and through sort of conscious will or the the realization of of what is actually possible and what you can do about it that starts to actually take hold and take shape. And so the magician is really about stepping into that sense of 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 sort of um like a burgeoning power that's just beginning to bubble up to the surface and and really thinking about where the tools are and, and how you might access them and are there more subtle tools and are there people who can give you new ones and what are the ones in your environment that you can take hold of? So really a an opening up of the the realm of possibility that the fool started so that the hero can actually, you know, get through the journey and not just sort of uh, just uh, walk through it sort of blinded the whole time.
0: hmm. hmm. Do you have a question for us? Do you have a dream you'd like us to analyze?
1: We want to hear from you. Contact us through the submission form, which can be found at our Instagram page, at Golden Shadow Podcast. Or if you're listening on YouTube, you can find the link in the description below.
0: Thanks for listening. See you later. If you find this podcast useful, please consider supporting us on Patreon. These podcasts are only possible with the support of viewers like you.